Certainly it's an honor and a privilege to stand before you to proclaim the oracles of God and to proclaim what God's holy word says, amen, and what God has said. The thing I like about God is even though he has said it in the past, it's still relevant for today and that it adapts for all times and all cultures. You know, there once was a young woman who went up to a couple at her church. Uh, the couple had been married for 50 years. And she was looking at getting married and she walks up to the couple and she says, you know, I really want to know what has been the secret to your success. If you could just tell me one thing uh, that has made your marriage such a success. And the gentleman stopped and he paused and he says, well, as I look at these 50 years of marriage, uh, the secret, the key that I can, I can really pull on is that you really need to be unselfish. Unselfish. Uh, you can't just look after yourself. You have to look after your spouse. And he said, after all, there is no I in marriage. To which his wife looked at him and she responded and she said, well, after 50 years of marriage, I have come up with one key to success as well. And I have determined that if I just keep this one key before me, we will be all right. And the one key is, is you have to know when and when not to correct your spouse. And I have chosen not to correct his spelling. And we have been all right, amen. When you go to some people and ask for advice, about marriage, they are likely to tell you different things. And one person will say one thing and another person will say another thing because it takes a lot to make a marriage work. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, we see marriage at its purest state. If you could stand to your feet and turn your Bibles there, as today we will look to conclude part three of our series, uh, the Genesis 2:24 principle. And as I've said before, whether you're married or whether you're single, I believe that this is relevant to you. This is relevant to you for those who are married so that we can go back and apply this principle and these principles to our marriage in order that God will be glorified. To those who are not married and who are seeking to be married in order that we would know the foundation that it takes to build a successful marriage. And for those who have no desire at all to be married, in order that we would minister to those who are married, to our married girlfriends and boyfriends, so that we can let them know that this is what the Lord requires through marriage. Amen. Through marriage. Amen. Today we're going to read Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, and then we're going to go over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. Amen. And the word of God says these words, Genesis chapter 2, Verse 25, I'll go up to 24. This is the verse that we have been working through the last two weeks. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Then we read in verse Seven of chapter three, these words, it's recorded by Moses. The word of God says, then the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves lion cloths. Amen. Today I want to tag this topic of subject with the, with the topic, Naked and Unashamed. Naked and Unashamed. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. Naked and unashamed. Subject of marriage is an important subject for it is marriage that is. Family is what the church is built on. Amen. Let us say a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you because it is truth. I thank you because I can do nothing to improve upon your word. Your word is already sufficient. It's already inerrant. It's already enough. There's nothing that I can say, Father, to improve what you have already said. Therefore, I pray that you would give me the grace to rightly divide your word of truth, that I would not preach to please man as the Pharisees and the Sadducees did, Father, but that I may preach to please you, that I would be able to stand flat-footed and proclaim the oracles that you have already proclaimed and that you will be glorified. I pray, Father God, for every single human being in here, whether married or single, that you would give them the grace, Father God, to love this passage of Scripture and to see the truth therein. Father, we are staying in a time and a culture where this culture condemns marriage. May we, Father God, as Christians, may we see marriage as a beautiful illustration of your love for your church, for your glory, for your purpose. Captivate our minds. Keep it from wandering. Help us to think on the things that are, are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are honorable and just for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm sure that you are well aware of the fact that in the United States, uh, most restaurants and places of business will not render their services to a customer if the customer is not wearing the proper attire. In fact, at some places of businesses and restaurants, before you enter into that place of business, you will see a sign that says, proper attire required. No shirt, no shoes, no service. The fact of the matter is, is that most Americans appreciate these policies that restrict public nudity or indecent exposure for they see public nudity as something that is simply unacceptable, as undesirable, as distracting, and even detestable. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 after reading the foundational principle of marriage, Genesis 2:24, after reading that foundation, the foundation that God gave Moses for marriages that will make marriages work, we see a peculiar scripture. A scripture that is different from what we would read on a sign outside a restaurant or a building. In fact, uh, to paraphrase it, we read a scripture that says, no shirt, no shoes. It's all right. Genesis 2.25 says something peculiar. It says that they were both naked and unashamed. Speaking of Adam and Eve. It says that our first parents were, in fact, nude, walking around in the garden, free as all get out. <laughs> Moses did not put this scripture here 
in order to support public and universal nudity. This is not a grounds to say that we should just feel free and be nude all the time. This is not why he put it in here. He, he, he put this here for a specific reason and a, a, a specific purpose. He made a declaration, a beautiful declaration. This declaration is a de declaration of purity. It's a declaration of beauty. It's a declaration of openness. It's a declaration of freedom. It is a declaration of sinlessness. Adam and Eve stood before God in the purest state, not wondering and not worrying about how they looked. They stood before God as two people, stripped as two people, open as, as two people in perfect unity with God. And they were unashamed. They were unashamed. This verse tells us that at this point they had perfect communication. They had total openness and honesty. There was clarity and freedom in their lifestyles. But something happens. Something takes place. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, we see the sign again. We see no shirt, no shoes, no service. All of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that they were ashamed of their nakedness. The Bible says these words, then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves lying cloths. And the question I want to ask is, is what happened between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.7? What happened in the relationship of Adam and Eve that turned something that was so beautiful into something that was chaotic, into something that made them hide themselves from each other? What made new a nuance because I believe that if we can see and if we can find in this text what made Adam and Eve ashamed of each other then we would have the key to marital success because the same thing that destroyed Adam's and Eve's marriage is the same thing that are, is destroying marriage in America the same thing that destroyed Adam and Eve is the same thing that may be destroying your marriage or your cousin's marriage or your auntie baby's marriage. And if we can find out what it is, maybe we can better minister to our husbands and wives. Maybe we can stand before God as a couple naked and unashamed with total clarity, freedom, openness, and beauty. So what happened? Well, three things are introduced into Adam and Eve's marriage between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.7. Three things are introduced that, that made them ashamed of their own bodies and ashamed of each other. And the first thing that we see that's introduced is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God 
had made. The first thing that we see that is introduced into Adam's, Adam and Eve's marriage is the serpent. The serpent. We see that all of a sudden the Bible says that there is a serpent introduced. And it says that it is crafty. Many times we say cunning or we say that we know that it, was, it, it had the ability to allure. The serpent. Now may we understand, number one, that everything that God made in the garden, he made good. So from the beginning, the serpent was not evil. It was pronounced as good. But something happens in the creation story that allows this serpent, the serpent, the, the animal, to become overtaken by evil. At some point after God announced that everything was good, corruption came through Satan. That's why we know that Satan, he fell from heaven. And when Satan fell from heaven, he took the serpent, the way that the serpent moves, and he took that which was good and he corrupted it and made it evil. So God did not create the serpent evil, but rather Satan fell from heaven, came, overtook the serpent, and used the serpent for his glory. And the serpent got Eve's attention. All of a sudden there's a, a talking animal that's talking to Eve. The serpent definitely is, is, is Satan. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 says, And the great jag dragon was thrown down, the, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Satan is the deceiver of the whole world. And Satan is often alluded to as the serpent for the rest of scripture because Satan became the serpent in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Before the serpent came, marriage, the marriage between Adam and Eve was all good. The marriage between Adam and Eve was perfect. They were naked and unashamed. But when the serpent came, chaos came. There's a word for your marriage. There's a word for your cousin's marriage. There's a word for those who are looking to be married. And it's quite simple. It's keep the devil out of your marriage. See Adam and Eve standing in the garden. And all of a sudden there ta a conversation takes place between Adam, between the serpent and Eve. All of a sudden the serpent begins to talk to Eve. And he asks Eve a, a question. He says, did God actually say Serpent begins to talk to Eve. And I'm convinced that the reason why many marriages are on the brink and barely holding on and there is not marital bliss and many marriages have been destroyed is because we have flirted with Satan. Satan has a message. Satan has a purpose. Proverbs chapter 27 says, Shoel and Abaddonon are never satisfied. Hell and destruction is never satisfied. And the reason why hell and destruction is never satisfied is because Satan is never satisfied. Satan wants to deceive all of those who are created in the image of God. And he's still deceiving today. Someone in here says, well, I have never ever, number one, talked to an, talked to an uh, animal or had an animal talk back to me. And I've never talked to a literal serpent, so I must be okay. But may we understand that this serpent is not, uh, we won't talk to a literal ser serpent. But we will talk to the world. 
Satan represents the world and the powers of the world. And the reason why many marriages are in trouble is because they talk more to the world than they do to God. This serpent wants to destroy your marriage. This serpent wants to pull you down. This serpent wants that which is clean and, and pure to become that which is detestable and ugly. This serpent wants to cause chaos, and this serpent is cunning. He doesn't do it in ways that is just so noticeable, but he does it in, in cunning ways. He does it through the television, through psychologists. Sociologists, people who don't know God and don't love God, but who have opinion about what God wants. The serpent. He does it through, through music. He th does it through the world. And many of us, we are struggling with our life because of this serpent. He likes to distract. That's why many of your attention is, is drawn elsewhere right now. Because he does not want you to hear that which is good. And anything, anything that he can do to get you distracted in your day-to-day -day lives, he will do. The serpent. And we must... Protect ourselves against the serpent. Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says that bad company corrupts good morals. So you may say, I don't know, I don't see Satan in my, my life, but, but Satan is anyone who is not glorifying God, being connected to us and having some sort of influence on us. Some marriages are, are struggling because the wife has unsaved friends that are constantly talking in her ear. And the husband is surrounding himself with unsaved men who are giving them worldly advice. Proverbs chapter 1 tells us the success of every Christian is just not a married man and a married woman. It says, it tells us that we must re refrain from walking in the counsel of the ungodly and in the, the way of sinners. You know, I have an issue here with this serpent. I have an issue with Adam and the serpent. Because while Eve was flirting and talking to the serpent, Adam stood by passively. Oh, y'all don't have to like me. Amen. I love you. Amen. And the reason why many marriages are being destroyed and the family, the institution of the family, has been destroyed in America, specifically black America, is because Adam is nowhere to be found. God called Adam to be the head of the house. God called Adam to be the one who speaks and who puts the vision in, in place, but Adam sat back passively and watched his wife become deceived. That's why the Bible gives more responsibility after Genesis chapter 3 to Adam than to Eve. Adam, 1 Timothy 2.14 says, Adam knew better. God had given Adam a vision and the purpose and the power to make his marriage and his family successful, but Adam stood back watching. Where is Adam? 
Where is Adam? Men, we must set the tone of our household. God has made us to be the head of our house, young men. God has made you to be the head of your house. He has made you to be the visionary of your house, of your home. Even as young men, you have to start cultivating that gift that God has given you and become that man. Adam stood back and he watched his wife become deceived. The second thing that we see that is missing in this marriage is the supremacy of Scripture. The supremacy of Scripture. We see that Eve has a low view of God's word. Or at least she doesn't have a strong enough view to combat Satan's craftiness. Listen to this conversation that they have. Satan starts off and he asks Eve a question. He asks a question. He says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So he starts off with a question. He's cunning. He wants to see what she knows. He didn't say that God did not say, but he asked the question. Did God actually, did he really say this? And don't you know that that's what Satan wants to do? Is he wants to see what you know. And what you don't know is what he wants to use to bring you down. Why Jesus said man shall not live by, by bread alone, by physical bread. But he said, but man must live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus said that the word of God is more of a necessity than physical food. Huh. The word of God is more of a necessity than physical food. Because the word of God can do more than just keep you physically, and it can keep you physically. When your body starts aching, I dare you to quote some scripture and remind yourself of who made this body. But it can keep you spiritually. Food only can keep you physically, but the word of God can keep you spiritually. Which means that you won't just be kept on this side of heaven, but you will be kept in heaven. Because of the word. Are you hungry for God's word? Eve, after not knowing what the word really said, you see how she responds after being questioned. She responds this way. <laughs> and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Okay. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. <laughs> Satan says, did God actually say that you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? First of all, Satan makes God seem more negative than positive. He said, did God say that you may not eat of any tree of the garden? God said the exact opposite. He said, you may eat up every tree in the garden, but one. So now there's a, a negativity 
surrounding Eve in this conversation. So now instead of thinking about the freedom that she has, all of a sudden she's thinking about what she does not have. And that's what Satan does. Even in our marriage, instead of thinking about the good that's going on and the freedom that we have and, and all that we can do with our, our spouse, he wants us to focus on, on the negative and put a, a, a negative overtone over our marriage. And Eve, she takes the bait. Because she says this, you shall not eat of every of, of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. So she says what God says, but then she says, neither shall you touch it. Least you die. Now the author here is intentionally showing us that something has just happened. Because just before, we just read word for word, verbatim, what God said. And Moses shows us that, that something happens that makes her go from you should not eat it to you should not touch it. Basically, what Eve is saying is even if, if I bump up against the tree, I'm going to die. If me and Adam are walking around and we, we plant or we, we got some, some animals on a tree, if we even just touch the tree, we're doomed. We're dead. That's not what God said. He didn't say nothing about touching the tree. He didn't say you couldn't bump into the tree. He said don't eat the fruit on the tree. The supremacy of God's word is under question. She follows. She says this. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He went from just beating around the bush to calling God a liar. He went from just introducing this idea to, to taking this idea and running with it. And he introduced doubt. And now he's saying altogether God's word is not sufficient for you. And that's what God wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that he, this is what Satan wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that God's word is not sufficient for you. He wants you to believe that, that this Bible is not enough to keep you and your husband satisfied. He wants you to believe that you need advice from other people than God. He wants you to believe that it's some quick seven-step program that is going to help your marriage rather than the word of God. He wants you to listen to philosophers and people of the world rather than the word of God. And it's because of the lack of standing on God's word that, that we have such trouble in marriage because the man and the woman they they don't see God's word for how beautiful it is isn't it interesting that the very thing that gave Eve joy and satisfaction was what was under fire think about it Genesis chapter 1 we learn that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and God said God's word created the heavens in which Eve and Adam was enjoying the beauty of the heavens. God's word created the, the beautiful animals that they were finding satisfaction and joy in. The butterflies that were flying by their face were spoken and created by God. 
The land that they were walking on, the grass that they were walking on was created by God. The giraffes that they were so ignored with and thought was so beautiful was created by God. All of the diversity of the garden was created by God and God created it just by speaking. And now the very thing that God used to create the world is under fire. And Satan is saying, listen, don't listen to his words. That's the message of the world today. Don't listen to his words. Listen to something else. Listen to somebody else, but don't listen to God's word. It's not enough. There's error in it. It's, it's broken. It's old. And God is saying, no, my word is the same word that's keeping the earth spinning on its axis and the stars in place. It's my word that is keeping the 350,000 galaxies in order. It's my word that is allowing you to wake up every morning because the moment that I say, death angel, go, you are gone. But yet the very thing that sustains us is the very thing we run away from. Touch somebody say it's in the word. Freedom in your marriage. Joy in your marriage and in your life will come from you depending on God's word. Third thing. We see that it's introduced into Adam and Eve's marriage. The serpent first. The supremacy of, of, of scripture is questioned. Third thing we see is that self has a chance to be magnified. Satan is cunning. He, he comes to Eve and he, he tells Eve, listen, is that actually what God says? And then listen to how he, he, he gets her in. Listen to the bait that he uses to get her in. It says, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, speaking of the tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good for evil. Satan tempts Eve and tells her, listen, if you eat of this tree, you will be like God. If you eat from this tree, your eyes will be open. You will be able to see everything. If you eat from this tree, there will be a promotion for you. So what entered Adam and Eve's marriage is selfishness. Eve became concerned about herself. There was no longer a two, a, a one flesh union. It became about me, 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 mines, 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 mine. I, 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 I. And be careful because if you put too many eyes in, you will begin to say idolatry. is under attack because Satan is going to the individuals that are married and telling them that they deserve better apart from their spouse. Telling them, look what I can do for you. Look what I can give you. Look at how I can make your life so much better if you just step over here. Leave Adam right there. But look, if you just eat, your eyes will be open. Satan wants an individualistic attitude to come into the hearts of those whom God has called and who God has ordained because he knows that we will bite if we don't know God's word. All right, all right. Your marriage 
all about you? Is it all about you getting what you want? Does it revolve around you? When I was dating and wasn't yet married and, and taken by Lady Amber, we had just really began to talk and started cultivating a relationship and I was praying to God about, you know, Lord, send me who you want me to have. And I was crazy, I really wanted a good woman. So I made a question list with some buddies of over 100 questions. I mean, it was, it was kind of psychotic, amen. You know, we came up with 100 different questions. We labeled them and put them in different spots. And, and this was about family. This was about religious beliefs. This was about past relationships. And we had all these type of questions. And I remember uh, Lady Amber had, you know, I was really interested in her. In her. I said, I'm going to ask her all these questions. And, uh, but, but I'll be real. It was, it was a, another young lady who some people back home really wanted me to talk to. I didn't really find a, a whole lot there, and I just said, well, I'll ask her these questions, too, next time we talk. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> now, y'all make sure y'all quote that in context, amen. <laughs> I wasn't a play. I wasn't dating nobody, amen. <laughs> I was getting to know some people, amen. <laughs> we was in different states. I was in Louisville. One was in, look at y'all, uh-huh. <laughs> Texan. Look at that. Cheated on Lady Amber. <laughs> but I remember having a conversation with a young lady. And I remember going through a couple questions, and all of a sudden it became evident that if I married this woman, it was going to be all about her. I said, well, what type of man are you looking for? And I'll never forget the answer. She said, you know, well, he needs to be able to adapt. I said, okay, how do you adapt? She said, well, well, see, I have a vision. God has given me a vision for my life. I want to go to a certain country and open up orphanages. I said, wow. I said, well, how many children do you want to have? She told me the number. I said, wow. I said, well, y'all going to be doing a lot of traveling? She said, yeah. I said, well, what do you want in a husband? And she said, well, he can, I want him to be a man of God. Maybe he pastors a, a really small church. I said, why does his church have to be small? She said, well, somebody's got to babysit the kids while I'm over in Africa. Okay. I said, so how often are you gone? She said, maybe three months out of the year, and then when I come back, I'm going to have my own show. I want to be the Christian version of Oprah. I said, wow. I said, thank you, God bless, I'll talk to you later, amen. <laughs> and that's how many of us are in our marriage. It's all about me. It's about you bending to my rules. You doing what I want to say. There's no, no compromise. No compromise. Serpent bit Adam and Eve with venom. Bit them with venom. It's a deadly bite. It's a bite of doubt. And the fact of the matter is that this serpent has bit every single Christian with this venom. Every single person that has ever been born has been bit by the bite of Satan. What happened between Genesis 2.25 and Genesis 3.7 is clear. What happens is that sin enters the world and it radically changes their marriage. Sin, it makes us all corrupt to the bone. 
We are totally depraved as human beings. Our, the, our sinfulness, us taking that bite off of that tree, whatever it is, us falling into the lust of this world and the lust of I and the pride of life, it causes us to be corrupt all the way down to the bone and to our veins and we are bit with the venom of Satan, a deadly bite, a bite that he wants to destroy us. What the Bible says, all have sinned. All have been bit by the bite of Satan and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why Isaiah 59 2 says, Your iniquities, your sins have been barriers between you and your God. Our sin separates us from God. And it's interesting that Adam and Eve, that they ran the moment that they sinned, they hid themselves. They tried to cover their own sins by themselves. And we cannot cover our sins ourselves. Affects every part of us. It affects our actions. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says that they sewed the leaves together and made themselves lion cloths. And then it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of God. Sin affected their actions. All of a sudden, they are hiding themselves. They once walked through the garden in the cool of the day with God's presence being so heavy. And all of a sudden, when sin entered into the world, they found themselves hiding themselves from the very one who created them, from the very one who was telling them that he loved them day by day through their actions, from the very one who gave them purpose and who gave them passions and who gave them life. All of a sudden, they are hiding themselves and they're saying, do not look at me. And I'm telling you, our sin makes us just like that it affects every single one of our actions and if we are not before the presence of God asking God to help us with this venom help us with this sin then we will find ourselves hiding from God not talking to God not desiring God and even worse we'll find ourselves hiding from our husband and our wife not communicating honestly and openly not loving each other and helping each other we will find each other destroying each other all of a sudden Adam and Eve are insecure. Sin breeds insecurity. They're insecure about their bodies, the bodies that they once enjoyed together and and complimented each other on. Now they're hiding it from each other. Not only does sin affect our actions, but sin affects and it corrupts our words. Look at verse 12 and verse 13. The man said, the woman whom you gave me. God is looking for Adam. He calls Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? Adam shows up. He said, Adam, why, why are you hiding yourself? And look what Adam says. He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you he was naked? He said, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Adam, all of a sudden his words change. It, it really does change. You remember just in verse 23, eight verses before, we see him writing a poem to Eve. The first in Hebrew, this will be written in, 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 a, in a poetic form. He writes the first, the second poetry. Uh, he renders the second poem in scripture. He says, there, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When he first sees Eve, he's like, this is my girl. This is my boo. Oh, look at her. I'm telling you. And all of
of a sudden, when sin enters the world, he steps away from it. He says, the woman that you gave me. I was doing fine until you made her. You tricked me. But isn't that how Satan works? Isn't that how he destroys marriages? Isn't that how he, he breaks us apart by our words? Our words, our sin affects our words. When we argue and when we have our, our quarrels, all of a sudden it's our words to say, the woman that you gave me, she has a problem. I'm fine. I didn't do anything wrong. I wouldn't have done anything wrong if you never told me to marry her. Sin causes us to argue and to fight. And the reason why many of our marriages are breaking down is because the power, the power of life and death is stored in our tongue. And then when, when times get hot, when, when we both walk out of the presence of God, or when we do something wrong, instead of saying, admitting it and saying, look, I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, let's go to God about this, we point the finger at each other and say, you should have paid the bill on time. I'm tired of you not paying these bills on time. Are you stupid or something? Or we say, I knew you was good for nothing. All you do is sit on the couch all day. Can you take out the trash? Or we say, you wasn't like this when I first met you. Something changed. I, I want the old woman back because this ain't good enough. Or we say, brother so-and-so does such and such for sister so-and-so. What's wrong with you? Or we say, I once was a judge interviewing a woman regarding her pending divorce. He's at divorce court. She stood before him and he stood before her and he said, ma'am, what are the grounds for your divorce? She replied, about four acres and a nice little home in the middle of the property with a, streaming, a stream running by. He said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean, what is the foundation of this case? And she said, oh, our foundation is made of concrete, brick, and mortar. And he said, no, no, I mean, I mean, I mean, what are your relations like? She said, oh, I have an aunt and an uncle living here in town, and, and my husband still has his parents. And, and he said, no, I mean, do you have a, a grudge against them? She said, no, we don't have a garage. We have a, a two-car port, and it works out even better for us. And he said, listen, listen, lady, I'm just simply trying to ask you a question. Why do you want a divorce? And she said, who said that I want a divorce? I don't want a divorce. He wants a divorce. He says that he has a problem communicating with me. <laughs> Our sin makes communication difficult. In fact, a recent study shows us, has shown that they did a study that showed that they, looked, they saw the couple in their first decade of marriage, and they, they, they did a study to see how many put-downs were couples doing. And, and the psychologist said that couples who had five or fewer put-downs, every 100 comments, were still together. And couples who had uh, 10 or more put-downs for every 100, 100 uh, comments were no longer together. Sin affects our communication. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. 
Why do we argue? We argue because we want what we want. And the only logical way we think that we can get what we want is by putting the other person down. Sin affects our attitude. It affects our motives. It affects our thoughts. So how do we free ourselves from the bite of Satan? How do we free ourselves from the venom of Satan? I just want to share this verse with you, and then we'll be done. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. God, even in the garden, he shows us where our hope lies. He gives an answer for all of those who have been bit by venom, and this should bring great joy to those who are married. God is at this point, cursing the serpent. He calls the serpent before him, and he curses the serpent. And then in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first pronouncement in the gospel. The first pronouncement of the, in the Bible of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the way back in Genesis, God has a plan to free us from the bite of Satan. God told Satan, he told that serpent, he said that there will be hatred between you and the woman. Because out of the woman there will be a seed that will be born from her that will crush you. We see a pronouncement of the gospel. Genesis 3.21. And Adam said, I'm sorry, I'm wrong verse. Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made for Adam, for his wife, garments of skins and clothed. Not only is there a pronouncement of the gospel, but now we see a sacrifice is being made. God looked at what they had on. They said, he said, that's raggedy. That's not good enough. So he went and he killed an animal and he covered them. Because human beings cannot cover their own sins. We cannot work for our salvation. Only God can cover us. And what does he do? He covers them with the, the skins of an animal. So now they are looking at God and they look at what they had on and they say, wait a minute, why are you covering us? Why is this such a dramatic moment? Why is this such a big moment? This is a, a huge moment because God told them that if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Was God lying? Of course God was not lying. God was speaking in another way. It would not just be a physical death, but it would be a, a spiritual death. There will be a separation between me and between you that at some point life will end for, for you. And look, in this chapter, God is saying, listen, I'm not going to kill you right now. This is good news. Here's some clothes, and this is how you should live. So how do you, how do you save yourself from the, the, the bite of a snake? Let me tell you a story. We see in Numbers chapter 21, Moses is with the children of Israel. They are, on, they are on their way out of Egypt, and, and things are going pretty well. And all of a sudden, the, the children of Israel begin to complain against Moses and against the leaders. They begin to complain, and God gets fed up with it. So God allows them to be bit by snakes, deadly bites. 
deadly bites, all these snakes. They just bit them. And all of a sudden now, these, the children of Israel, they are, are being plagued or they are dying because of this disease. But Moses does something unique. God said, Moses, I want you to go. I want you to make a, a bronze serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole. And I want you to hold the pole up high and, uh, and put it in a high place. And I, I want all those who have been bidden and who wants to be delivered and who wants to be saved, I want them to stop and I want them to look up at this snake. And when they look up at this snake, whatever the disease that they had, it will be taken away. What was going on? Jesus explains in John chapter 3 what was going on. It's a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? He's asking Jesus, what's going on? And Jesus responds, he says, no one has ascended, in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Then he tells us why God had Moses do what he did all those years before. He said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Huh. Moses, thousands of years before, gets down, he makes a bronze serpent, he puts it up. He doesn't necessarily know what God is doing, but he knows that God said that I will heal them if they look at the serpent. Years and years and years later, Jesus gives us revelation, and he lets them know that Moses did that to be a sign to them. The serpent represents sin. It represents sin. And Jesus became our sin. The serpent that was lifted in Numbers chapter 21 pointed to Jesus being lifted on the cross. God was saying, he who looks at Jesus on the cross for salvation, they will be saved. What are you saying? I'm saying that the, the problem that's going on in your marriage is a problem that is, it, it deals with sin. The reason why there's division between a husband and a wife is because the husband and the wife are both sinners. They both have been bitten by this serpent called Satan. And the reason why there is chaos and there are, are threats of divorce and they are throwing things at each other, they are talking negatively against each other is because of one or both of them have been, have been affected by the venom of Satan and their sins are before them and they don't see themselves as sinner. And the only way to get your marriage back on track is to see yourself for what you are and so that I can see myself as what I am. I am a sinner. And the only way to get this venom out of my marriage and out of my relationship is to constantly look to Jesus Christ to break the power of sin. Every time you argue with your spouse, somebody, if not both parties, are sinning. Every time there is coldness in your house, it is because somebody has sinned. Every time there is insecurities between you and your husband, you feel like you can't tell him something, he feels like he can't tell you something, it's because you or him both are in sin. And the only way to free yourselves from this sin is to look up into the hills from which come your help and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Purify me. Work in my life. Work in my heart. Free me from my pride. Free me from Satan. Allow me to see myself just as you see me so that I can minister to my spouse. 
Jesus Christ is the only hope for your marriage. Jesus Christ is the only one who can free you from your sin. And may you not just look at yourself and say, it's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's him. I'm doing everything right. I'm doing everything right. It's not her. It's, it's, it's not me. It's her. It's not me. It's not. It's her. It's not me. It's her. The only way that you can free yourself from these lies is to take on the attitude of the, of the Apostle Paul and say, I am the chief of all sinners. It's to see that you have a part to play in your marriage. May we not be like Adam. May we not be like Eve. May we not point the finger. And may we look at ourselves and say, what can I do to improve my marriage? What can I do to improve the atmosphere of my home? And I can tell you what you can do. And that's found in Genesis 3, chapter 21. You stand on God's grace. God could have killed them, but he did not. Grace is God. Not giving a just punishment to those who deserve. God could have took Adam and Eve both out because they both were sinners, but God gave them grace. Instead of killing them, he made a blood sacrifice, which points towards the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. He made a blood sacrifice in order to signify that the only thing that can wash away your sins is the blood. And Jesus shed that blood over 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. And, and when he shed that blood, all of a sudden, everyone who was, not in, who was predestined to be in Christ received the grace of Christ. Grace. God not giving us what we rightfully deserve. That's the answer to all human relationships. It's that we give people the grace that God has given us. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Do you see the grace that God has given you? Are you giving that grace back to your husband or your wife saying, listen, I will cover your sins. I, I, I know that you're bad in this area. I know that we you need to work in this area. But let me tell you something. I look at myself every morning. I know that there's areas that I need to work on. Instead of condemning you and pointing you and cursing you and swearing you and threatening with a divorce, I'm going to do my best to work on myself. And then I'm going to pray to God for strength and for grace that God will help me to give you the grace that he gave me, even though. I know that you really don't deserve my love right now. I'm going to love you in spite of you. I know that you don't deserve this love, but I'm still going to love you in order that I may win you over for Christ and that your heart will be broken for the gospel of Jesus. You don't deserve this kiss right now, but I'm going to kiss you anyway and tell you that I love you because Jesus kissed me when I was unlovable. While I was yet an enemy of God, he still loved me. Even though you don't deserve, I feel this conversation right now. I'm going to give you this conversation conversation and let you know how my day has been because I know that God talks to me sometimes even when I don't talk to himself even though you don't deserve this prayer that I'm about to pray to my father right now I'm going to pray for you because I know that Jesus is on the right hand side of God interceding for me right now and I know I've been tripping but he hasn't let me go even though I know that you don't deserve for me to cook this dinner for you right now I'm still going to cook it for you because I know that Jesus gives me food on my table and clothes on my back even when I don't deserve it. So baby, I'm going to love you even when you're not loving me in order that you can feel the love of Christ and come to Christ because Christ is the only answer. He's the only answer for the venom of Satan. 
seems the answer to our problems is not less of somebody else, it's more of Jesus. The more we have of Christ, the better we are to respond. When we become saved, God gives us the Holy Spirit. And if we get in his word, and if we allow his word to stir up our hearts, if we spend precious moments with Christ at the feet of Christ, begging Christ to come into our heart, that Holy Spirit begins to stir up. And all of a sudden, there's love, there's peace, there's joy, there's patience, there's gentleness, there's long-suffering. These are the fruits of the Spirit. And when a Christian is not responding in love, patience, joy, peace, it is because he is allowing their problem to become bigger than the provisions of God. When we are not walking in peace and love is because we are looking at something we should not be looking at rather than looking at Christ. Isn't that what happened to Martha? Martha, Mary, Mary, what are you doing at the feet of Jesus? Don't you see that there's work to be done? Don't you see that there's work to be done? Why are you sitting at his feet? And Jesus said, no, no, Martha, you have it wrong. You ought to be sitting at my feet too because if you sit at my feet, I'll give you peace. If you sit at my feet, I'll give you joy. If you sit at my feet, I'll give you love. If you sit at my feet, I'll give you patience. If you sit at my feet, I'll make a way out of no way. Don't you know why you in there stirring up the pots and the pans trying to cook a meal for me? Don't you know that I'm the one who spoke to the fish and made it multiply to the 5,000? A lot of times we get distracted by stuff that don't matter. May we get in the face in the presence Wash me, O oh Lord, and make me whiter than snow. Minister to me that I might minister to my husband or wife. Let me feel your presence so that I can communicate your presence to them. Those who have received grace must give grace. And those who never give grace don't understand what grace is. And at some point, we have to ask the question, have I truly received the grace of God? Let us pray. Father, the people here who are in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're in relationships and marriages, Lord, that just seem so difficult. And they're asking, Lord, let this cup pass from Give them the strength that you gave your son if it is your will. If it is your will. It says, not my will, but thy will be done. Satan, the blood of Jesus against you. As a church, we refuse to listen to your cunningness and crafty speech. We accept the word of God. It's a vessel of truth.